Well, hey everyone, my name is Steven and I am one of the pastors here at Journey Church. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to this message. We pray that this helps you on your walk with Jesus, but also that it encourages you to get plugged into a local community of believers. Hey, if 2020 taught us anything, it's that being isolated from others is not how God intended us to live. So be sure to use this resource in conjunction with being plugged into your local church. Hey, we hope you enjoy this message from God's Word. Good morning and thanks for joining us here today. I really love that last song. And Lael talking about that even in the prayer, the faithfulness of God. In fact, the story that we're going to see today is going to demonstrate the faithfulness of God in a powerful and real way. Special thanks to our worship team here today, Lael and uh, Amy, Chuck, and Judy, who were up here. Well, don't give Chuck too much attention. He's just a drummer, you know. But everybody else, it was great. No, I'm kidding. Chuck is the, he is the driving force behind the band. We'll put it that way. I wouldn't woo him. Uh, That's a little, wooing him is a little much. All right. I want to thank Pastor Dave also for uh, preaching last week. Uh, my family and I, we were out of town for a couple of days just uh, as a, at the end of VBS. Jennifer put so much time and effort into VBS, so we wanted to get away and uh, just relax a little bit. So thanks to Pastor Dave. Today is the 4th of July. I think in the history of Journey, this is the first time that the 4th of July has fallen on a Sunday. We have been in existence a little over seven years, and so it would just make sense. Maybe... Maybe our first year, but I don't remember it being that way. Uh, But the first time I can remember it falling on a Sunday morning. So today, as a result of that, we are doing one service only. So you are the faithful ones that came. We'll see how many show up for second service and didn't realize, (laughs) even though we've been announcing it for six weeks, uh, that it's not going to happen today. You know, I'm always amazed at the 4th of July. I'm amazed at the freedom that we get to share. Did you know that in February of 1945, that a guy by the name of Joe Rosenthal pulled out his camera and he clicked a photo that would later become one of the most iconic, if not the most iconic picture of history in our country. He took a picture of five Marines that were lifting the flag and putting the flag into place on the island of Iwo Jima. That flag represents so much in our country. In fact, after that photo was snapped, there were papers across the country that wanted that picture splashed across their front page because it represented so much about what we fight for and what we stand for in our country. The flag is is a, a symbol. It's an image, but people become very emotionally connected to that image. In fact, every time we see that same image today, it sparks an emotion uh, within all of us. A flag is just a piece of fabric. That's all it is. It's cloth. It's fabric. It is, it is a material object. But really, for us, the flag becomes the banner of the United States. And it's one of the most powerful symbols in all of the world. Throughout history, men and women have given their lives for that flag. They have gone around the world, been deployed around the world, even so today, in order to defend and preserve the rights that we experience in our country. 
those rights that started on July 4th of 1776 with the signing of the Declaration of Independence was a removal of tyranny from their lives and from our lives as well. It was a representation of hope. It was something that would give, give substance to who we are and who we were going to be. All of the freedoms that we enjoy really are a direct response to that. Our ability to worship freely today that is being taken away in other parts of the world, just to our north it is being taken away, those freedoms are represented here by what those men did on July 4th of 1776. There were 56 signers of this amazing document, this amazing Declaration of Independence. Some of the names will come to you easily. Many others you probably would not know or have forgotten that you did know. You know names like Thomas Jefferson. You know names like Benjamin Franklin. They were, by signing that document, committing an act of treason against the crown. Who were they? What did they do? Why did they do this? Ben Franklin, who was on that group, part of that group, was the only really old man of the group. Did you know that 18 of them were under the age of 40? Three of the signers were under the age, or in their 20s. Of the 56 that signed, almost half, 24, were judges and lawyers, 11 were merchants, 9 were landowners and farmers, and the remaining 12 were doctors, ministers, and politicians. With only a few exceptions, such as Samuel Adams of Massachusetts, these were men of, of substantial property. They, they were wealthy. They had families. The vast majority of them were well-educated and had good standing in their communities. They had economic security, as few men in that day actually had. But every one of them gave all of that up, or the potential of giving that all, all of that up, when they signed that document. They were putting their lives on the line for what they believed in. They risked death. They faced death. There was a bounty on all of their heads. In fact, John Hancock was one of the richest men in America. He had a 500-pound price on his head before he signed this. In fact, do you know why he signed it so largely on the Declaration of Independence? And we refer to somebody signing as putting their John Hancock on a document. He signed it so large in his own words for this reason, that his majesty could now read my name without glasses and could now double the reward. That was the risk that he was willing to take. Every one of those for the sake of freedom. It was a principle, it was not property that they were fighting for and that they were after. All of these men risked something and that was that they could experience life that was free. Do you know that that is the pursuit of all people? People long to be free. Did you also know that while we are lucky and we are blessed and we are in a privileged state to even live in this country and the rest of the world envies and wants to come here because of the things that we enjoy, do you know that that kind of freedom is not really the same kind of concern that God has? While we have a country that is free, God's idea of freedom goes beyond a country. God's idea of freedom is that we are free in our spirit, in our soul, and in our mind. Do you know that freedom is the ultimate theme of the Bible? 
The Bible talks more about freedom than really anything else in the forms of not only freedom, but what's called redemption. Do you know what redemption is? Redemption is defined in this way. It is to be set free from slavery. When God came on the scene, he came to set us free from the bondage of slavery that we were in. This is the common theme that runs throughout all of the Bible. The reason Jesus came, the reason God delivered the people in the Old Testament was so that they would experience and we would experience freedom. That's God's desire. The freedom God desires is what we are going to talk about today. We're going to look at how God wants to set free the hearts and minds of the people, no matter where in the world they live. Let's pray as we begin. Father, help us today to hear from you. Help us to honor you. Help us to worship you. Yes, Lord, we are grateful and thankful for the country that we are in. But there are so many people in this free country that are in bondage today. They're in slavery to sin. And they don't even know it. Though they experience freedom and they'll celebrate freedom today, their ultimate end is destruction. Ultimately, they are headed to hell because they have never trusted in you and received from you the freedom that is desperately needed. Lord, more than living in a free country, we need to have hearts that are free, spirits that have been set free. We need to be people who have escaped the bondage of sin, the slavery of sin, and have been redeemed by you. Father, I pray now as we look into the past that you would help us to feel encouragement and assurance as we move forward. Thank you for loving us. Thank you that freedom is your ultimate goal for humanity. Help us to experience it and to accept the freedom that you offer. It is in the name of Jesus we pray, amen. What we're going to do today, and what I'm going to do today, and this is kind of the problem, too, of only having one service, because if this, usually, if first service is really bad, I can escape to my office, rewrite the sermon, and make it better for second service. But today, it is, this is it. It's as good as it's going to get. Never going to be preached again. What we're going to look at today is just two things from the Old Testament about the idea of freedom. We're going to look at the reality and then we are going to look at the response. The reality that we are going to look at is this, that people are in spiritual bondage. This, again, is the theme of the Bible. Now, to illustrate this idea of how people are in spiritual bondage, God has given us a picture. We're going to go back in time about 1,500 years before Jesus came on the scene and see the picture that God laid out of redemption, in fact, the verses that we are going to look at today are the gospel message that are in the Old Testament. Everything that is talked about in this section that we are going to look at was fulfilled in the person of Jesus himself in the New Testament. If you have a Bible, turn back to the book of Exodus, and we are going to look at Exodus chapter 1 together for our time this morning. Let me give you a little bit of the context to understand how we got to the point that we are at. Many years before, uh, before this event that we are going to read happened, there was a guy by the name of Jacob. 
Jacob also had a second name. His name was Israel. God wrestled with Jacob. God changed Jacob's name to Israel. This is the birth of the nation that we know as Israel. Israel, or Jacob, had 12 sons. These 12 sons would become the 12 heads of the tribes of the nation of Israel. Well, of the 12 sons, 10 of them were really, really disliked one of their brothers. They were jealous of one of their brothers. His name was Joseph. The reason they were jealous of him is because their father, Jacob, showed more affection toward Joseph than he did toward the rest of them. In fact, he gave him some special gifts, and as a result, there was a lot of jealousy that they had toward Joseph. They plotted against Joseph. They wanted him out of the picture, thinking that if he was out of the picture, life would be okay. And so they plotted against him, and they were going to get him into slavery. They were going to sell him to a slave trader and ultimately get rid of him. That's what they did. They sold him into slavery. Joseph is in slavery. They went back and they told their father that an animal had killed him. And his, their, his father, their father, would grieve for years as a result of that. Joseph is sold into slavery. Joseph finds himself in the country of Egypt. As he is in the country of Egypt, through divine providence, he is able to work his way all the way from being in slavery, being in prison, all the way up to second in command, second in power in that country. What an incredible rise to power, and what an incredible story of a rise to power that he had. But he was second in command in Israel, or in, in Egypt. Meanwhile, back in the area that his family lived, there was an extreme famine that was going on. Joseph had prepared his country for the famine, but all of his brothers, they had not prepared themselves. They were in a desperate situation. So they all went from their home to Egypt in order to beg for food. As they got there, they had a, a uh, reconciliation that took place with their brother. Their father realized that he was actually alive. Everything is good. Everything is forgiven. All of the families moved to Egypt in order to be there as one collective unit. As they are there, they are welcomed. As they are there, they enjoy a position in the country where they can eat and they can live and they can work and they can multiply. Well, few years pass, many years pass by, and all of a sudden, a new king arises over Egypt. The new king did not know Joseph. He didn't know all of the history. He didn't care about all of the history. He just knew that there are all of these foreigners living in our land, and we have to do something about this. We'll pick up the story in Exodus chapter 1, verse 8, and here's what it says. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. He said to his people, to his fellow Egyptians, Look, the people of Israel are too numerous and too powerful for us. What did he recognize? He recognized that these people have multiplied too greatly and they could overthrow us if they wanted to. They are too powerful in order to make sure that they stay, uh, they, they don't, hold on to that power. We need to do something to keep them pushed down. We need to control them. We need to be the authority in our lives. So come, we must deal shrewdly with them. 
We've got to keep them oppressed. We've got to keep the people pushed down. We've got to keep the people from escaping our control. So what can we do to cause people from escaping under our control? Kind of sounds like things that you hear about in the world today. We've got to keep them oppressed. We've got to keep them pushed down. They can't think for themselves. They can't go against us. So we'll deal shrewdly with them or else they will grow even more numerous so that if war breaks out, they may join our enemies, fight against us, and then escape from the land. We don't want them to escape. They're our workforce. We don't want our workers to escape. We don't want our workers to have a mind of their own, so let's keep them pushed down. Let's keep them oppressed. Let's keep them, let's deal shrewdly with them. So they set slave masters over them to afflict them with forced labor. And they built Pithom, and Ramses as storage cities for Pharaoh. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and the more they spread. So the Egyptians dreaded the people. They dreaded the presence of the people of Israel. So what did they do? They amped up the control. They worked them harshly. They made their lives bitter with hard labor, with mortar and brick, doing all sorts of work in the fields. In all their labors, they worked them with cruelty. Moreover, the king of Egypt spoke to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shifra, and the other was Pua, and said, kill the babies. I know how we'll control them. Birth control, population control. Let's kill the children. When you help the Hebrew women during childbirth, here's what I want you to do, he said. Look at the sex of what is being born. If it is a son, kill him. But if it's a daughter, she may live. Yet the midwives feared God, so they did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the boys live. So the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and said to them, why have you done this? Let the boys live. The, the midwives told Pharaoh, because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, they are like animals and they give birth before the midwife comes to them. So God was good to the midwives and the people multiplied, growing very numerous. Because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. But Pharaoh charged all his people, saying, you need to kill the babies. You are to cast every son that is born into the river, but let every daughter live. That was the situation. That was what was going on. They were in incredibly hard bondage. That's what slavery is. That's what people want to be set free from. Get me into freedom from the misery that I am in. Now, here was the result of what uh, the result of all of that situation. It says it in, ver in chapter two, starting in verse twenty-three. It says, now it came about over the course of those many days that the king of Egypt died. The people of Israel groaned because of their slavery. They cried out, and their cry from slavery went up to God. God heard their sobbing and remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and he was concerned about them. They cried, they groaned, they sobbed because of their miserable state of life, but God was concerned. In this, we have 
the picture of slavery. Now, we today are not in literal slavery the way that the, the uh, Israelites were to the Egyptians in that day. But we are indeed in slavery just as much, if not more so. We are in slavery spiritually today. They were in slavery physically. Some of us in this room today, you're enslaved by alcohol. Alcohol has enslaved you. It has trapped you. It holds you tight. It holds you captive. And you can't seem to get free. You try and you try. You white knuckle yourself through. But you can't ever seem to quit because it holds you. It has you in bondage. It has you in its grips. Others are in slavery to drugs. And it does the exact same thing. You've tried and you tried. You've tried to white knuckle your way through. You can't get through because it's holding you in bondage. Some in this room are in slavery to greed. Greed is your motivator. Everything you do is focused upon greed, money. How can I get ahead? How can I get more? Greed is the call of the American society, really, how can I get ahead? How can I have more material possessions? And that greed has trapped you and held you and you find yourself in slavery to it. Others in this room are enslaved to pride. Pride is the world has to revolve around me. I have to be self-sufficient. I have to do it myself. I can't rely upon anyone. It becomes all about you. Life becomes about you. And that slavery to pride has trapped you and held you tight. For others, maybe it's a, a, a slavery to sex. Maybe it's a slavery to pornography. It holds you, it's trapped you, it's got you, and you can't seem to break free. And more, the more and more you try to escape, the more you try to get away from it, the more it just holds you tight. Others are enslaved by, by other people's opinions of them. Maybe somebody's opinion. Maybe you're enslaved by unforgiveness. Maybe you're enslaved by bitterness. Maybe you're enslaved by anger. Whatever it is, we are all trapped spiritually. And that's the reality. The reality of the Bible is this, that every one of us have been or are currently enslaved to sin. The reason Jesus came was to redeem us. Do you know what, again, that picture is, it's, it's setting somebody free from the slavery trading block. The reality is we're all enslaved at one point in our lives until Jesus comes and sets us free. The response, though, is what I want to look at today. And the response is this, that God offers spiritual freedom. God offers spiritual freedom. This is the theme of the Bible. We are enslaved, we are trapped, God comes to set us free. It happened in the Old Testament, it happens in the New Testament, it's still happening today. The reality is we are in bondage. The response of God is he has come to offer spiritual freedom. Now I want, you to sh I want to show you what happens here. Because again, this is the gospel message in the Old Testament. 
Moses was chosen by God to be the deliverer of the people. Now remember, they were in bondage. They were crying out. They were groaning. They were sobbing. They were in misery. This life is hard. It is hopeless. We are in a hopeless, desperate situation. Moses, I want you to be the deliverer of the people. Now Moses had messed up on his, in his own ways. Moses had murdered someone. He had, he had run away from that event. He had lived his life for the past 40 years as a shepherd, and God called him to be the deliverer of the people. And I want you to see what this says, because this is an amazing, these are amazing principles. Here's what God says to Moses in Exodus chapter 3. Moses was walking along, and Moses saw a bush that was on fire. Being amazed that there was a bush that was on fire, but it was not really burning up. It was just on fire. And it was not, it was not uh, going out. It was just on fire. Moses turned and looked at the bush. God said to Moses these words, Come no closer. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place you are standing is holy ground. In other words, Moses, we're going to do some business here, and you need to get your heart right. You need to get your life right. You need to come and consecrate yourself before me, because we are going to do some God business. Take off your sandals. The place you're standing is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, So Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Then Adonai said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their slave masters, for I know their pains. So I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians to bring them out, uh, to bring them up out of that land into a good and large land, a land flowing with milk and honey, into the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me. Moreover, I have seen the oppression that the Egyptians have inflicted on them. Come now, I will send you to Pharaoh so that you may bring my people Israel out from Egypt, I want you to see three things that God hears, and then I want you to see three things that God does. Okay, look at this. First of all is this. Number one, God sees. God sees. Look what it just said. It said these words. It says, take off your sandals. You're, we're going to do some business. Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Then Adonai said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people. I have seen what's going on in their lives. Now, relate that personally to you. God says this, I see what's going on in your life. I see it. I see your pain. I see your misery. I see your bondage. I see your addiction. I see your struggles. I see the trials that you're going through. If you have ever been tempted to think God doesn't know, God doesn't care, this verse should tell you differently. God says, I have seen, I I see it. With my own eyes, I see what's going on. God is an omnipresent God, meaning he is always present. Therefore, he can see absolutely everything at one time. He knows everything everything. He sees everything that we're going through. There is nothing going on in your life that God does not see. The good, 
the bad and the ugly. He sees it. Second thing it says is this. He hears. God hears. Again, look at what it says. It says, take off your sandals. Moses did. Moses hid his face. He was afraid to look at God. I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry because of their slave masters. I've heard their, I see what's going on, and I hear you. Your pleas, your prayers, your cries, your aches, your problems, he hears it. He is not a God who does not care. He is not a God who just says, go live your life your own way, do your own thing. No, he is the God who says, I see what's going on and I hear your cries, I hear your prayers. Yes, I'm not answering and responding the way you want me to right now, but I will because I see it and I hear it. Third thing he does is this, it says that God knows. Again, look what he says. I have heard their cry because of their slave masters, for I know their pains. I know their pains. First of all, God can identify with our pain. Jesus going to the cross, Jesus suffering what he did, makes him able to to identify with anything we go through. But God knows where you live. He knows what's happening. He sees the things that you're being afflicted by. He sees your troubles. He sees your pain. He sees your problems. He sees your trials. He hears your cries. He hears your pleas. He knows what's going on. Nothing escapes God's sight. Nothing catches him off guard. Nothing that you do or you have done or you will do uh, do, surprises God at all. He sees it, he hears it, he knows it. If it ended there, it would be hopeless. Because if God just said, well, I know, I see it, I hear it, I just don't care, that would be cruel. But you know what? God doesn't do that. God does something different. Because look at the ways in which God moves them from pain and misery to healing and freedom. Look what it says. First of all, God responds. When he sees that you're in pain, he knows that you're suffering. When he hears your cries, God is moved to action. He responds to that. He doesn't let you just fend for yourself. He responds to you. Here's how he responds. He says this. So I have come down to deliver them. One of the most amazing things about the gospel is this. You cannot reach God. You can't work your way to God. You can't, through your own self-effort, which is called religion, by the way, you can't get your way to God. There's no way. You'll never be good enough. You'll never be able. You'll never accomplish enough. You can't do anything. So what does God do? He says, I will come to you. You don't have to come to me. We are stuck in a pit. And God says, you don't have to climb out of the pit. I will come down to you in the pit. And I will take you out. That's the amazing picture of the gospel. 
He hears my cries. He hears my pain. He sees my suffering. He knows what I'm going through. He knows my misery. He knows the bondage that I'm in. He doesn't leave me there. He comes down to meet me where I'm at. Have you ever had a God encounter like that where God comes and meets you right where you're at? You're in the middle of something. You're going through something. And God showed up. I know people that have lost loved ones. And they have been in pain, obviously so. And then God showed up. And it didn't mean that they didn't still grieve. It meant that God was with them in their grief. I know people that have been stuck in the, in the grasps of addiction And they have been in pain and misery. And then God came down to meet them where they were at. Stories of people who have been almost falling down in the gutter. And God showed up and met them where they were at. People who have been in prison and God didn't forget about them. God showed up where they were at. They didn't have to go find God. God came to them. I have come down to deliver them. Not only do I come down to deliver them, but look at what's next. Then God leads. How does God lead? Here's what he says. I have come down to deliver them, to bring them up out of the hand of the Egyptians, to bring them out of that land. God is not content letting you stay where you've always been. He wants to lead you where he wants you to go. You cannot say, God, I am just going to live this life. You come to me, but I'm not going to change. No, he comes with deliverance. He meets you where, his, where you're at, and then he says, now I'm going to lead you where I want you to go. Too many of us think, well, we can just follow God, and we can just stay in our sin and stay in our slavery. No, God wants to set you free to lead you in a new direction. I have come down in order to lead them out of that land. I want to lead you out of your misery. I want to lead you out of your pain. I want to lead you out of your addiction. I want to lead you out of your greed. I want to lead you out of your pride. Finally, God not only responds, not only does he lead, but also God blesses. God blesses. Here's what he says. I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians to lead them and bring them out of that land. And I want to bring them into a good and large land, a land flowing with milk and honey, this blessed land. I want to lead you there. See, that is the picture and the summary of the gospel. That is what the gospel is all about. God hears your cries. He sees your pain. He sees the sin. He knows what you're going through. He knows your trial. He knows your problems. He knows your addictions. He knows the struggles you have. He doesn't just wander off and say, figure it out on your own. No, he says this, I will come to you and I will meet you where you're at. But I'm not going to leave you where you're at. Follow me and I will lead you to a brand new place, a brand new land. I'll lead you out of that misery that you're in. And where I lead you is going to be into a promised land. Not only the promised land today of a life loved and lived in him, but also a promised land of eternal time with him. 
an eternity with him. That's the promised land that he leads us into. That gospel message that he gives to the Israelites in the Old Testament is the same message of Jesus in the New Testament. Do you know that Jesus hears your cries? He sees your pain. He knows your struggles. He knows your sin. He knows the decisions you make. He knows the things that you say. He knows what you're doing behind closed doors. He knows. He sees. He hears. Being discontent to leave you there, he comes down. Jesus literally came down to this world in order to do a couple of things. To lead his people out of bondage into freedom. And to lead us into a promised land. When Jesus was beginning his earthly ministry, he stood up, it's in Luke chapter 4, he stood up in his home synagogue, and the appointed reading of the day was the one, miraculously, that he was appointed to read. And so he picked up the scroll, it was Isaiah 61 verse 1 that Jesus would read. Jesus read these words, the spirit of the Lord God is on me. Because Adonai has appointed me, anointed me, to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. He then rolled the scroll back up, and he said, Today in your hearing this has been fulfilled. This was the calling of Jesus. I have come to set you free. In John chapter 8, verse 36, he says, So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Galatians 5.1, Paul writes, For freedom, Messiah has set us free, so stand firm and do not be burdened by a yoke of slavery again. Romans 8.2, Paul says, For the law of the Spirit of life in Messiah Yeshua has set you free from the law of sin and death. Today is a freedom day. We celebrate freedom in our country. An incredible freedom that we are able to experience in this country. We are grateful and thankful to live in a free country. I wouldn't want to live anywhere else other than here. As many problems as we have today, I would still like to live here more than anywhere else. But that's not the kind of freedom God cares about. The kind of freedom God cares about is you. Your eternal soul, your spirit. Are you free? Have you been set free from the bondage of sin? Or has sin taken hold of you and you've never been able to get free? Some of you today may be able to relate to that. Some of you today may think, yes, I am in the bondage of sin. I am in the bondage, in slavery to this thing that has a hold on me. I need to be set free. Larry Crabb, I don't know if you know that name at all, but I want to end with this story. Larry Crabb is a Christian psychologist. He's written several books. He's, uh, he's, he's getting old at this point. But back in, the, back in the 90s, he was writing several books. And he, uh, he wrote in one book and told one story. He told this story. There was a man who had come to him after one of his seminars. And this man who approached Larry Crabb after his seminar told Larry the story of his own life. This man said that 
he had a son. And his son, when he turned 18, was very rebellious, very, very angry, very stubborn. And the son basically looked at his father and said to his father, I hate you. I never want to see you again. He marched out the front door, slamming the door behind him. The father wouldn't see him for many years after this. This son, who is very prideful, very arrogant, very stubborn, very rebellious, though he grew up in a very conservative home, a very godly home, he really rejected all of that and began to live his own life thinking that he was experiencing and having fun with life. He got into the drug scene very heavily, and he started using marijuana. Well, marijuana was just a stepping stone to harder drugs that he was getting into. So he was getting into cocaine, he was getting into meth, harder and harder substances, and it took hold of his life. The son moved from the Midwest out to California. As he was out there in California, he fell in with a crowd that just got this going even harder in him. Well, one day, his father happened to hear from a mutual acquaintance that he saw his son in California living with a group of people that he was very, very heavily into drugs. The father was very burdened for his son. He was very heartbroken. He was praying every day, as many of us do for our kids, if we feel like they are just uh, not only where they're at today, but even if they're wayward, we're really praying for them. The father was praying for them as much as he could. He just felt burdened that he needed to go to California and try to find his son, try to talk some sense into him, try to reason with him. He flew to California, rented a car, through this mutual acquaintance, he was able to find the location where his son was at. He got there about 11 a.m. on a particular day, knocked on the front door of the house that his son was staying in. The front door was not actually closed, so as he knocked on it, the door just kind of swung open. Nobody answered the door. The father just walked in. As he was walking in, he noticed that there were people in various stages of undress, and they were passed out everywhere. Everyone was either hung over or high from all of the parting the night before. He walked through the house, all of the bodies that were laying in the house passed out, and he found his son who was passed out on a couch. As he got to his son, he knelt down, started whispering to his son, started praying over his son. As he started praying and whispering to his son, he only said that these words, God, please, please help him. Please help him to know that he can always come home, that we love him, that we care for him, that he is welcome back in our house anytime. Instead of doing anything more, the father just got up and he actually left and went out of the house. He thought, I can't make him do anything. He's got to come to this decision on his own. A few weeks later, the father was back at his house in the Midwest and all of a sudden there was a knock on the front door. He went to the front door and opened it and there standing before him was his son. He opened the door. He hugged his son. He was so grateful to see him. And the son said to him these words. He said, Dad, I'm sorry. 
When you came out to California and you came into the house, you didn't know it, but I was awake. And I heard every word that you said. And that got me thinking that I need to get my life cleaned up. And so I walked from that house and found a recovery group and got enrolled in this recovery group immediately. And I wanted to give it a few weeks to make sure that it was really going to stick, but I think it really has. And I'm coming home and I'm asking for you, please, would you forgive me? When that happened, reconciliation happened. And that son's life became different from that point on. Bondage to sin can look like that. Bondage to sin can hold you, affect you. It can destroy you. And the father sent his son to come down, to deliver us, to lead us out of bondage into freedom. Have you experienced that freedom? To ultimately be free means to accept Jesus as Savior. The one who hears, sees, and knows but also the one who has come down to lead you into a promised land. Would you pray with me? Father, I pray for that kind of freedom for all of us today. If there are some in this room that do not know you, that have never developed a relationship with you, that have never asked you for forgiveness, I want to pray, Father, for them right now that this would be the moment the moment in time that July 4th, 2021 would become their freedom day, not as a country, but as a person who follows you, Jesus. That this would be the freedom day where they say, Jesus, I am sorry. I'm sorry for my sin. I'm sorry for my decisions. I'm sorry for what I have done. I'm in misery and pain and I need you. Jesus, please come into my life and lead me in a new direction. I need to be set free. And only you can do that. Lord, if there are any who have prayed that same prayer and they have said, Jesus, I need you, I pray, Father, that you would come into their heart and into their lives, that you would encourage them and help them to know that they are yours. On this freedom day that we celebrate in our country, Lord, help us to find true freedom, ultimate freedom, through following and knowing you. Thank you that you hear our cries, that you see our pain, that you know our suffering, and you don't leave us alone. That you have come down to meet us where we're at, to deliver us, to lead us in a new direction, and ultimately take us to you, a promised land with you for all eternity. Lord, we are thankful for not only the country that we live in, but mostly, Lord, we are thankful for the relationship we can have with you. Be with us now. As we leave, Lord, help us to remember to honor you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to that message. We hope that it inspired you to trust the Lord to treasure people, and to transform our world with the saving gospel message of Jesus Christ. 
If God is leading you to give to Journey, head to our website, journeychurchgillette.com and hit the give icon in the bottom right hand corner. Your gift helps us to continue providing resources like this every single week. Also, be sure to follow us on social media and check out our website for updates and additional information. Hey, God bless you guys and have a great day.